19, which are the words of Peter. Prior to me reading this, Peter and James have just healed a man who had not been able to walk since birth, and several people around observed this. Seeing this, Peter addressed the people. You Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why are you staring at us as if we made him walk by our own power of piety? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is the one you handed over and denied in Pilate's presence, even though he had already decided to release him. You rejected the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you instead. You killed the Arthur of life, the very one whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. His name itself has made this man strong. That is, because of the faith in Jesus' name, God strengthened this man whom you see and know. The faith that comes through Jesus gave him complete health right before your eyes. Brothers and sisters, I know you acted in ignorance. So did your rulers. But this is how God fulfilled what he foretold through all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer. Change your hearts and lives. Turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped away. This is the word of God for the people of God. I think I've told you this story before about Hubert Nath. Hubert Nath's a retired United Methodist pastor. He used to be out at Lee Summit. And the legend, urban legend of the story goes that one Sunday morning there was a rousing performance by the choir and a soloist, and at the end of it, Hubert Nath said, I can't say any more, amen, let's just go home. That's a legend. As much as I'd like to say amen, let's go home. I spent a lot of time on this sermon. You're going to hear it. As I mentioned at the beginning of worship this morning, this is our post-Easter series. We are talking about what it means for us to be witnesses in this world today, to be the disciples who are ongoing in our witness of what Christ can do in our world. To think about the witness of the apostles as one who saw many things. Among those, we saw Jesus' power to care and have compassion, how that is supposed to be a part of who we are as our ethos, as a community, to live together in compassion for one another. This week, we're going to look at what it means for us to experience healing and how we are the ones who are powerful witnesses to God's ability to heal, body, mind, and spirit, because I think we all know we live in a world that needs a lot of healing. Amen? We live in a world that is divided by a variety of things, friends. We know that it is acutely aware through the social and the political dynamics of what we experience. It's in our homes, it's in our families, it's next door, it's down the street, it's in our cities. There are people living with pain, and it crosses all the spectrums of body, mind, and spirit. The apostles were powerful witnesses. They saw Jesus' ministry, everything that Jesus did, and they saw him exercise great power, especially in the ability to heal other people. And I suggest to you that that power should still be a prevalent part of our witness. That God is still doing those things today. 
A few weeks ago, uh, on a Friday night, a living legend in Old Testament scholarship was here in town. His name is Dr. Walter Brueggemann. Now, I don't expect that many of you know him. You may have heard him in passing. Some of you may be pretty familiar with Dr. Brueggemann. But in the world of Old Testament scholarship, Dr. Brueggemann is a big deal. All right? He is like the cream of the crop. There, there's great Old Testament scholars that are still living today. There's a plethora of them that live around us. I have had the privilege of studying under some of these scholars. But when it comes to, to the top of the top, Brueggemann's up there. All right? uh, so let me put it this way. Brueggemann is the cherry that sits on top of the sprinkles, that sits on top of the whipped cream, that sits on top of your ice cream, that's inside of the waffle cone. You get who Brueggemann is now? He's the cherry, right? And we had the opportunity to go hear him speak. For about 45 minutes, he talked about prayer. Allie is actually the one that noticed that he was coming in town. She asked me if I wanted to go. Mrs. Hoffman said that she wanted to go as well. So the three of us went. We sat together. At the end of it, we discovered that Cherry was there as well. Brueggemann sat there and for 45 minutes just shared with us his wisdom, his insight on the Psalms and prayer. And then at the end of his 45 minutes, he gave us mere mortals the opportunity to ask him a few questions. And, and we did our best to ask some provocative and thoughtful questions. One of them was asked of him, and I don't remember the exact context of the question, but I distinctly remember his answer. He said this. He said, people in the world are in pain. And the church needs to stop proclaiming people's guilt and start being a place where people can find answers to their pain. And I had to pause and think about that for a moment. And actually, intuitively, I knew that to be true in many ways. In 20 years of pastoral ministry, I have met a variety of people, and a lot of people have come to me in confidence, and they have shared with me the circumstances of life that they find themselves in and the anxiety and the pain that they are struggling through. I've heard story upon story upon story of these moments, these things that are transpiring in it. And actually, it still continues. And it, it's beyond us as well, even at the church. It was confirmed for me in a meeting that I had on Monday. We do our district interviews twice a year for people who are wanting to be in ministry and people who are in ministry. And so Monday, we interviewed some folks who were thinking about coming into ministry. And one of them is a woman out in Lee Summit who is a licensed professional family therapist. And that's one of the things that she said in her interview. She spends day in and day out, hour upon hour, validating people's anxiety and pain. It's prevalent in the world around us. I wonder how many of us, though, are, are trying to figure out the ways in which we can deal with it on our own. Right? Our pain, the way in which we try to discover some things that maybe we can anesthetize some of it. Right? So we might turn to some things that we know aren't really good for us, but it might provide temporary relief. We know people seek after drugs. They might excessively use alcohol. Some others might use sensual pleasure. Impulse spending is a way. Escapism from these things. Some of us, we might overuse social media. It's our way of dealing with the anxiety and the pain that we have. We might find a different crowd to hang out with. We might want a change of scenery, and so we move and go somewhere else. We might try to be moral and religious. 
as the answer to our pain. Discovering more and more that the power isn't within us and the things that we do. I think all of us as a Christian community would profess that Jesus is the Son of God. That's what we believe. Filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus was the full embodiment of God Almighty walking on this earth, dwelling among us. And in that powerful presence of God in that worldly time of his day, Jesus had compassion for the people that he saw. The hurting. The people who needed something new to transpire in their lives. And the witnesses of the Gospels and the witnesses of his disciples pointed to this. Tell us of the stories. The moments where Jesus had compassion, stopped, and healed those who came to him. I wonder if that still transpires today. Let me tell you a little story, maybe to draw this to a point for us, to help us understand what was transpiring, particularly in Acts in this moment. Let's say we as a church decided that we were going to have a a new kind of spiritual formation together. We decided we were going to have a new prayer practice. And every day we decided to gather at 3 o'clock in the afternoon here at St. John's. We would come seven days a week, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. We'd sit down together as a community of faith. We'd sing a hymn together. Maybe we'd read the 23rd Psalm and close with the Lord's Prayer. And that became our discipline and our practice as a community of faith. That's what they did in the day of Jerusalem for for this time, right? Everybody came to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock. We decided to do this ourselves. Now, day in and day out, we gather, and our neighbors begin to see us doing this, right? They see the faithful coming to the church at 3 o'clock each day, and one of our neighbors knows of someone that's in need, crippled. Right? They deal with this person at a, at a local ministry. They see him day in and day out, needing of services and of help. And so our neighbor drives down to where this person sits on a corner. Let's say they, they beg at the corner of Cleaver Boulevard and Prospect because they couldn't get one of the prime spots down here at the plaza. Right? So they go down and they pick this person up and decide, I'm going to take him to St. John's. I'm going to bring him to the church and put him out on the front doorstep. And so 2.45, this neighbor shows up with this crippled person, puts him on our front doorstep, and they sit right by one of our beautiful columns. And you lovely people, as you come for your time of prayer, you walk in, you might give them a little bit of change that's in your pocket, a couple of your $1 bills. We do what we can to help those that are in need. right? And we do this day in and day out as this person comes and sits at our front doors. Now, most of you know I, I usually don't come in the front doors. I, I actually, when I get here at church, I come in the back door down here. I got a little key fob. I walk up to the security thing. I, I put it. It goes beep. The light turns green real fast, and I just come in the door. So I hardly ever come in the front door. But one beautiful spring day, which isn't today, but one beautiful spring day, I decide I'm going to walk around the church, and I come in the front doors, and I see the beggar on our front doorstep. And I look at that person and I say to them, you know, I don't have any money whatsoever, but I'm going to give to you what I do have. In the powerful name of Jesus of Nazareth, you are healed. Rise up and walk. And I extend out my right hand, and he stands up, and he begins to walk around. And next thing you know, he's shouting and dancing and praising God and giving witness to God's power to heal, right? Now, we don't believe that's actually true, do we? 
Because those things don't happen in the 21st century. That is the scene of Acts, chapter 3. That is what has happened in this moment with Peter and John and the beggar at the temple. As they went in at 3 o'clock to go to pray, they didn't give him any money. They gave him the witness of the power to heal. And he was raised. I wonder how many of us would have the courage to do that ourselves when we encounter somebody beyond who we are. Would we have the willingness to recognize the people that are around us? Because that's what is required of us, to recognize that there are people in pain that are around us. Were we paying enough attention? Are our eyes open enough to see that world? Are we willing to give what we have, whether it be our time, talent, treasure, or just our witness to Jesus Christ? Or will we give them what we normally give? Some of our platitudes. Some of our nice words. You might have heard these periodically, right? It might have crossed your lips, or someone might have said one of these things to you when it comes to one of your pains, one of your struggles. Someone might have said to you, if you pray hard enough, God will heal you. Ever heard that one? Right? Or don't fret. God never gives you more than you can handle. Ever heard that one? Right? Or, I know exactly how you feel. Or, I've been there. I've made it through. So can you. The words that we offer to people. Right? Why aren't we offering the name of Jesus of Nazareth? The one who can heal all things, body, mind, and spirit. The one who can deal with our anxiety and our pain. Who can take these things away from us and grant us the life that we are seeking. Why? Margaret and I watch a lot of TV on demand. We watch Netflix, we watch uh, Amazon, and we watch uh, some of the programs through uh, Google On Demand and things like that. And we've become pretty adverse to commercials. We, we just don't like them, right? And to watch any TV program live is like agony to watch it live because you're sitting there pressing the button hoping you could fast forward, but it won't let you, right? But, so we were watching on ABC On Demand Grey's Anatomy the other night because ABC On Demand will actually, actually let you fast forward through the commercials. But it's interesting in that storyline, there's, there's a particular character by the name of April Kepner. April Kepner is a doctor who, when she came on to the storyline, onto Grey's Anatomy, she came on as a very religious person who had a strong faith, and it was a discipline in her life. She tried to live out this kind of moral, ethical type of life. She wanted to be a good example, a good witness. But something traumatic happens to her character, and she has this falling out with God that's played out on the screen for several episodes. In the episode that we were watching the other night, she is treating a rabbi, and this rabbi is dying of a severe reaction to an antibiotic. He's laying there in pain and in agony, and in the midst of his time with her, he sees her pain and her agony. She's doing everything she can medically to treat his circumstances. He's doing everything he can to treat the wounds of her soul. And he gets her to divulge what's going on in her life. 
and why she's mad and angry at God and why she's in pain. And she simply says to him that God is not just. There are too many good people suffering through bad things in this world. And the rabbi says to her, you know, faith isn't real if you only believe when things are good. He says, you can believe in God or you can give in to the unjust randomness of life. But what I want you to remember is this. God is not indifferent to our pain. I thought that was powerful. To know that God is not indifferent to any of us' pain. That in Jesus we see that as the example of God who is not indifferent the one who comes and in his interactions with people has compassion for them, will stop and interact and heal in those moments. We see God who can overcome so many things in the story of Jesus. We should believe that God still overcomes those things today because God is not indifferent to our pain. I think the point is that God sees who we are. God cares for who we are. God wants us to know that He is there for us to strive through and to carry us through whatever we're experiencing and from that to make us witnesses who can share it with the world to tell them that the healing power of God still is at work today. So let me ask you what your story is at the moment. Where do you find yourself today? On the pain side of the equation? On the healing side of it? What's going on in your neighbor's life that you could interact and share in? Is there someone that you know that needs the powerful witness of a disciple that would come and say, Christ is alive. And because Christ is alive, you can be as well. God is not indifferent to your pain, but is there and wants to provide healing. Because we live in a world that needs it. A world that socially, politically, every dynamic that we know of, home, family, next door, in our communities, we live in a pain that's in turmoil. We live in a world that is struggling through these things. And we need a witness. A witness from a community of faith that can share God's good news. Here's what I hope you walk away with today. A couple of things just simply to remember. To be reminded that people, of course, as we know, are in pain. We've talked about that. Searching for ways and places to be able to deal with that in their lives. To be reminded that Jesus saw people in his own time, had compassion upon them, addressed their pain through that ministry of healing. He had eyewitnesses that could share in that in his day. Today we need to be those modern eyewitnesses as well who are sharing with the world God's healing power, the church, a place that helps people deal with the pain that they are going through. So here's your invitation for today. Let me ask you simply this. How are you participating in being an eyewitness to God's power to heal? Who are you in ministry with? Who are you sharing with in their story? How are you recognizing what's going on in their life? Are you paying attention to what's going on? Are you willing to get involved? Are you willing to share with them the name of Jesus Christ? Would you pray with me? Merciful God, in this moment, we come before you 
And in everything, and in most everything, it always begins with ourselves. And in this conversation with you, we come, each as individuals, thinking about our own anxiety, our own pain, the moments where we have struggled through and the moments where you have carried us through. For some of us, oh God, we might be seeking your power today, that the name of Christ might be pronounced over us, and in the powerful name, that healing might come for us. For others of us, we're celebrating, for we know that healing is possible. We've experienced it in our lives. And help us, O God, then to be the witness that can share that with others. There is so much work to be done in this world yet, in your name, to help others know that you are not indifferent to what's transpiring in this world, the pain, the anxiety. O God, Use our powerful voice. We may think that we're small in numbers. Lord, the number of people that we each know, friend, family, acquaintance, our power, our influence is exponential, and we can make such a difference. If only we would share the name of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray today. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to come at this time.